Hello everyone, this episode is brought to you by Zencaster. If you've ever thought about podcasting before and realised that you need a lot of different tools and services, those days are over. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create your podcast all in one place and distribute to Spotify, Apple and other major destinations. It's now super easy to record a podcast with Zencaster. You just log in using your browser and start recording high-quality podcasts straight away. We'll just record studio quality sound and up to 4K video with your guests and feel a sense of zen knowing Zencaster's multi-layered backups ensure you always have recordings in the highest quality even if the connection is unstable. Go to zencaster.com slash pricing and use my promo code CTHROUGHPANELPOD and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster's played can. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Hello everyone and welcome to See Through Panel. This is a comic book review and discussion podcast. My name is Fahed Rahman and today I am joined by Claudia Kangini. Uh, Claudia is a full-time freelance 2D illustrator. She mostly draws covers and interior illustrations for tabletop role-playing games, webtoons and comics and her favourite things are decorative elements, expressive characters and trope reversals. Her personal projects include a series of illustrations on her Patreon, a short comic called The Magic Flute, and her ongoing webtoon, The Witch of Stonebridge Falls. Um, how do you? How are you doing today? Fine. Thank you for having me. Great. And the uh, book that we are going to be discussing today is Delicates by Brina Fumler, and that's published by Oni Press. I'll read out the the blurb for uh, Delicates. Marjorie Glatt's life hasn't been the same ever since she discovered a group of ghosts hiding in her family laundromat. Wendell, who died young and now must wander the earth as a ghost with nothing more than a sheet for a body, soon became one of Marjorie's only friends. But when Marjorie finally gets accepted by the populous kids at school, she begins to worry that if anyone learns about her secret ghost friend, she'll be labelled as a freak who sees dead people. If Marjorie's insistence on keeping Wendell's ghost identity a secret from her new friend, Wendell begins to feel even more invisible than he already is. Eliza Duncan feels invisible too. She's an avid photographer and her zealous interest in finding and photographing ghosts gets her labelled as different by all the other kids in school. Constantly feeling on the outside, Eliza feels like a ghost herself. Marjorie must soon come to terms with the price she has to pay to be accepted by the popular kids at school. Is it worth losing her friend Wendell? Is she partly to blame for the bullying that Eliza endures? So uh, when I got in touch with you, I sent you a list of different books uh, that we could potentially discuss. And this is the one that you selected. Yeah. Can I ask what drew you to it? Uh, well, the um, synopsis I read was um, quite captivating. I liked the theme of uh, coming of age, fitting in, uh, dealing with uh, pin awkwardness, uh, and uh, it was quite enticing to me, the theme. Okay, so it's just kind of the theme. Um, had you read any of Brina's uh, previous works? No, I when I started reading the graphic novel, I wasn't even aware it was the second vo- volume, and there was a previous one called uh, Sheets, yeah. and uh, um it reads uh, fine, uh, even if you haven't uh, read the previous one, I must say. Even if it is a bit uh, weird uh, that uh, it uh, kind of starts in uh, medias res, 
it um, leaves uh, a lot of things uh, like um, unexplained and you have to take those as a given, like that there are a bunch of ghosts uh, uh, living in uh, Marjorie's laundry and uh, she clearly has some uh, family issues uh, because of the loss of her mother. But it's uh, perfectly understandable understandable all in all and you can follow the story perfectly even if you aren't aware this is a second volume. Yeah, I, I, I kind of feel exactly the same way. I think this probably would have been a far more richer reading experience if if you had read the first volume, but it's uh, yeah, completely sure. accessible and understandable if you've not read the previous volume. Yeah. So uh, let's kind of start with kind of like the, I would say maybe the three major, well, arguably in my opinion, the three major characters, well, maybe four major characters in the book. We've got Marjorie, uh, Wendell, Eliza. Eliza and Tessie. I think those are kind of the four major players. Would you like agree with that? Or do you think there's other characters that um, play a, an equally important role to the mm. story? No, I agree completely with you. Uh, this character and their evolving uh, relationships are the, the, the main heart of the, of the book. Okay. Okay. So um, how did you feel about uh, Marjorie as I'd say maybe probably the main protagonist um, of the book? How do you feel that, um, how do you feel that she was written? How do you think that, what were your impressions um, um, of her? Well, uh, having been a teenage girl uh, myself, uh, I could uh, empathize and cringe a lot with her <laughs> um, in her attempts to fit in with the cool kids uh, group. And um, it really drove home uh, how easily mm, you can uh, um, slide into bullying. As uh, um, later on in the book, uh, Marjorie herself says to Colton, and then Eliza repeats to Marjorie, you didn't bullying, but you uh, let it happen. Um, so it is so easy to, to not uh, intervene uh, immediately and uh, end up being a part of uh, the bullying. Um, Marjorie is uh, an interesting character. She has many issues, apart from uh, her uh, school uh, slash social life. Uh, her family life uh, is uh, quite complicated with the absence of uh, her father. I mean, he is there, but he is not also. Clearly, the, the, he is dealing with his grief, uh, with, uh, he is struggling a lot uh, with his grief. His brother uh, is struggling too, and uh, um, she kind of tries to parent him, but she's just a 13, 14 year old girl. Yeah. <laughs> so she, she, it's not her job. And uh, also, the ghosts uh, uh, claim her attention too and uh, so she has to kind of try to to balance a lot of stuff yeah I, I completely agree with that kind of I, f I feel like a lot of the uh relationships between like her dad and her brother I feel there's a lot of um subtext I felt that I was missing there and that's probably contained in the first volume but you do get a real sense of her dad kind of like right word floundering about <laughs> yeah yeah just yeah he's just kind of like wasting his time not really doing anything yeah too important not really um paying attention to uh, what marjorie and like her brother's emotional uh needs are and i felt that's kind of quite an interesting way of kind of loading a lot of emotional tension on marjorie because she's, she's got to deal with that and then there's also the uh emotional tension of 
wanting to fit in and kind of like moving on from old friends that were there for you before and trying to join a new group of friends and that kind of like the pool of the kind of like the dead versus the, the, the pool of the world of the living. And I felt that was kind of quite an interesting tension to kind of place on a, a, a character that's kind of slowly, not slow, is, is kind of growing up yeah. through the story. Going about well. in the world uh, somehow. Yeah, yeah. So I felt that was kind of quite interesting. So one of the uh, th things I wanted to kind of like t talk about as one of the uh, maybe inciting inciting uh, incidents is basically the swim coach at their school kind of asks Marjorie, Eliza and that group of, of people to kind of keep an eye out. Not, not Marjorie, uh, not uh, Eliza, um, Tessie. Mm -hmm. So uh, Marjorie, Tessie and that uh, group of friends to look out for... Um, Uh, his daughter Eliza and I just felt um I felt that was kind of a very bad idea on on the part of the dad on part of the the swim coach there I don't think that's kind of ever yeah 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 I don't know how did how did you how would you feel if you're kind of like your dad uh, or your mum or something like that as I said a lot of you. cringe in this book <laughs> yeah yeah Yeah. All in all, uh, I would say uh, the parenting we see in this book uh, is not so great. Uh, we probably the best example we have is the um, Eliza's family, and even that is not very effective, honestly. Yeah. Because yeah. Uh, you can see her parents are trying to do their best, but are aren't uh, um, managing to to help her to to give her the help she needs, the support she needs. They are well intentioned, but uh, they they are not doing a good job. Yeah, let's. Um, so we've, we've talked a little bit about Marjorie. She's you know a, a teenage girl. She's kind of seen the set that she's summer's over. They're heading back into into school, and she's trying to keep her place amongst this new group of friends that she's made. And then Eliza kind of comes in. She's been uh, left behind. She's not ready to move on to high school. She, I think this is, I'm not entirely sure what age these these kids were, but I think you're right, maybe 13, 14. I checked what the age is, eighth grade in uh, USA, and it seems to be 13, 14. Okay, 13, 14 years old. And Eliza, yeah, you can kind of tell she's a very... You could kind of see why a lot of other people would see her as odd. She's got this obsession with ghosts. She, um, throughout the book, she's got this very kind of like, um, I would say non-expressive expression on her face, kind of like she's not, um, she's trying not to allow uh, it to show that she knows that other people that think she's odd if that makes sense. And kind of like, you know, when she does bring up her interest in girls, she can kind of tell how other people find that a little bit off-putting. How did you feel that kind of Eliza came off initially? And how did you feel like about her kind of towards, towards the end of the book as well? Well, uh, for sure, she is uh, very awkward and possibly neurodivergent. And uh, I, it kind of comes to mind that you can put uh, Eliza and Marjorie uh, one next to the other. And if we assume that uh, um, the, the, the school and the people at school are like the outside world and the ghosts uh, real and uh, wished for, 
are like the interior world or of the characters. Those two characters move in different ways, opposite, I would say. Uh, Marjorie is trying to, to venture out into the world, even if she, she is very uncertain, while um, Eliza is stubbornly refusing to do it and trying to go even deeper into her interior world, into her obsessions with uh, ghost photography and so on. I don't know if this does this make sense to you. Yeah, it does. It does kind of um and I think it's probably I think it's probably something that's kind of quite common in the like the teenage experience. You do have teenagers that either retreat into their, you know, own interior world during those years or people that go out and they they want to find out everything. They want to go out and party and make new friends and uh visit different places and you can kind of definitely see that you can't really blame eliza for uh, um, not uh, being so enthusiastic about uh, going out and about uh, yeah because it clearly is very hard for her even even painful yeah and uh, it's also kind of a similar thing with wendell as well you can kind of see the pained expression on his face where especially there there's a discussion between him and marjorie earlier on about him wanting to go dancing yeah. and kind of like him really like, well, it's kind of like a little bit too late for that because you, you're um, a ghost. One of the things I did uh, really like about the book is um, how the ghost mechanics, the internal mm. rules for the, how the rules for the ghost kind of worked in the world. So all the girl ghosts are sheets, kind of the classical, <laughs> I don't, is that a kind of a classical thing in the West kind of just having a ghost yeah. sheet? Is that the same sort of thing in um, Italy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is it? Oh, okay, cool. Um, having kind of a, these um, ghost sheet characters and Marjorie is the only person that kind of recognized that these sheets as ghosts are ghosts and when she kind of tries to raise it up to other people they either completely miss the point <laughs> or misunderstand or they can't see what she's seeing and I, I really kind of I, I enjoyed that aspect of it as well how did you how did you feel about kind of the that world building aspect of the of the story it was uh, super interesting and I liked how it unexpectedly um, got to some comedic moments even <laughs> Yeah. So the books, it does, it kind of sounds kind of quite heavy from the way we've described it. There's kind of like themes of, we've kind of talked a little bit about kind of like bullying and yeah. coming of age and isolation and all these things. But it, I, I felt it was kind of quite a funny book in a lot of places. The kind of the humor was kind of quite dry. Um, I'm thinking about there, there's a sequence um, when they go to the cinema Marjorie and Wendell and Eliza turns up and it's kind of like Eliza's not understanding that there's a ghost sitting between them and I thought that was kind of quite yeah, funny yeah, um, as well. Absolutely. It, uh, it has uh, funny, wholesome moments, uh, sweet moments. Uh, yes, it's not all doom and gloom, of co- for sure. Yeah, I'm thinking kind of one of the, the sweeter moments in the book for me, at least, was when Marjorie's brother, Owen, was kind of crying about not going on the, yeah. um, the Halloween trick-or-treating. and the Which, kind of which is very there. believable for a kid, not wanting to go and then crying because he didn't go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And kind of, you kind of understand the reasons yeah. why he didn't want to go because kind of sure. he had a tradition of going with his mum and then kind of that, I felt was kind of like a nice bonding moment yeah. between those two characters. So we've talked a lot about the, the, the characters and kind of the right, I think, her dialogue is absolutely superb. Um, I think Brina does an absolutely job, that wonderful job of writing 
kind of writing these conversations where people are kind of sort of trying to reach out to each other, but just holding back a little bit because they don't want to be uh, appear to be kind of like too vulnerable and kind of capturing those moments where someone might say something in passing, but that really hurts another character in the conversation. And yeah, I thought it was kind of beautifully observed dialogue. How did you, how did you feel about that? Uh, the book is uh, completely interspersed with uh, these moments. Uh, uh, there are so many solitudes here would love to reach out uh, to someone and share with someone else, but they are very awkward and don't really know how to do that. So often they end up failing at uh, communicating effectively. It's uh, quite heartbreaking, honestly, uh, in a good way. <laughs> yeah, um, in, in a good way. Yeah. I would like to add also, you mentioned the dialogue, and I think the author does a very, very good job also uh, with the body language, the expressions, mm -hmm, uh, the yeah. way the characters act is very effective in um, transmitting the, 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 the feelings uh, they are um, having uh, in that moment, uh, what uh, they are thinking. Uh, it's very, very effective uh, how she uses gestures and uh, close-ups of the faces. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And kind of the next topic I wanted to talk about was kind of the, the art. How would you describe the art style in this book? Uh, for sure, super appropriate to the, to the story. Very Western, yeah. not in a bad way. Yeah. And personal, I would say, if I can delve a bit into the technicalities of the art, yeah. I may say I really loved how the author represented the uh, little town. The whole uh, scenery has a strong personality. You can uh, really have a clear idea where these boys and girls are living. And um, I appreciated the um, uh, restricted color palette, uh, which was very appropriate for a comic with a young girl uh, <laughs> as a protagonist. And uh, the um, costumes also were, uh, I was totally in the 80s uh, looking at uh, how people were yeah, dressed. Yeah, I thought it was kind of like either uh, the 80s think, or 90s, some, 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm sure of it because um, they mentioned Bananarama and Bengals, but the dresses uh, alone were enough to, to convey this uh, very, very clearly. Uh, all in all, um, there are many precious details uh, in, the, in the comic. The, the art is uh, very effective, very uh, functional to the story. Yeah, so I think one of the things I wanted to kind of um, pick up on what you said there was you kind of mentioned how the town has like a real character and you get a real sense of strong sense of space. So one of the things I loved about the book was you get these uh, sections where there's kind of a lot of like, conversation, but then it's interspersed with sometimes these double age, uh, double age, double page spreads of like these vistas and landscapes surrounding the town or of the of the town itself, and it just gives you kind of like time to breathe and then kind of consider what the previous section was kind of about and kind of gives you time to kind of mentally prepare to go into. Um, the next section and those um double page spreads or whenever she's kind of using um kind of landscape within the book it kind of i don't know how she does it but kind of gives you a real strong sense of like a mood of a, an emotion of what the characters are going through as well the control of the rhythm uh, the author has is impeccable she does what you were mentioning uh, and uh, yes as you were saying it gives a breathing space uh, to a conversation, uh, an event, uh, uh, an exchange. 
and um, it gives uh, this uh, slice of life uh, overall feel uh, to the comic. Uh, it contributes to the overall personality of this work. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, and the other thing that I, I wanted to kind of ask you about was the line work in the comic. So um, I've reviewed quite a lot of comics recently where you can kind of see that they've done kind of like uh, the, the artist has done like a lot of like sketching and rendering and they've really planned out the the way that the page looks. And I'm not saying that Brina hasn't done that, but it felt a lot looser to me than that. I think she kind of like, like for me, it almost felt like, uh, it felt like just the first draft that rather than something that was kind of revised over and over again until like all like the subtlety was removed from it. It felt kind of like very impulsive in, in place. If I, I think that's what I'm trying to say. Would you agree with that? Or do you feel like it was a bit more, um, planned out? Do you mean the layout of the pages? No, I mean, in terms of like the, the actual line work when she's drawing the characters. Ah, okay. I think, I feel uh, looking at the images, uh, the author is one of those blessed with the ability to draw kind of quickly with quick gestures uh, and uh, with uh, a very losing style. Uh, which I admire to no end and am absolutely not able to reproduce uh, no yeah. matter how I try. <laughs> so I really invite these people. <laughs> yes, it feels very fluid, very loose. Uh, it feels like she, she didn't um, exactly draw uh, with pencil before inking yeah, and yeah. so on. Yeah, kind of like making sure that everything's uh, uh, in the correct way. I think um, you, you also kind of mentioned the the colour palettes, kind of uh, there's uh, pinks and purples and blues. All pastels, yeah, yes. And, um, yeah, it's... It's one. It's one of those weird things where I think that the color palette, in some ways, hi, in some ways, it, it high, uh, heightens kind of like the depth of uh, melancholy and um, pain that the the characters are, are feeling, or even like the humorous bits. It kind of highlights that a lot. But I think because it's kind of like I wouldn't say simple, but kind of a restricted color palette kind of I also think it does a good job kind of hiding exactly how complex the story is and how complex the the emotions um and the the relationships that the characters are kind of developing with each other are as well is that something that you kind of picked up on absolutely and uh, I also think uh, uh, since we mainly I are seeing the story through the eyes of uh, teenage girls it is a subtle reminder uh, of that for the record, I am a total fan of uh, restricted color palettes. They are uh, elegant and uh, contribute to give a personality to each work. Yeah, so, yeah. yay, restricted palettes. Uh, this one is very yeah, effective. Um, yeah, so I think uh, we've been talking about the book for about 20 minutes. I think the, the art is beautiful. It's uh, it, it leaves an impression on you, I think. She's such a skilled visual storyteller, yeah. especially those, those quiet bits where characters are reacting to what another character has said. And, you know, the, these beautiful landscapes that she's trying to, to draw, it's, it's really um, impactful stuff. So I, I think that um, that's... I agree yeah. on all so, points. Um, but for me, this is a firm recommendation for this particular book. Um, it kind of, if you're looking for something that's a little bit more, com I don't say complex is the wrong wrong word, but if you're looking in so for something that's kind of in line with like Rainer Talmegia's kind of work, but maybe a little bit more 
melancholic uh with a, a slightly more kind kind of sophisticated art i think this is definitely something that you should um be looking to check out for uh you know people of all ages but especially kind of you know if you've got people that are interested in ya and before we leave the discuss- discussion of the book is there any topics or anything that about the book that we haven't had the chance to talk about that you'd kind of like to speak about i would just like to add that uh, let's not forget uh, it is uh, funny and sweet and wholesome too because there are some really heavy themes uh, yeah. so I'd like to, to encourage a potential reader uh, reminding yeah, them of yeah, this absolutely it is I mean there are you know themes of bullying and kind of mental health issues that do arise in the book but it is it's a wholesome it's a wholesome book about finding people to, to connect with and maintaining the connections that you already have Okay, cool. So I think that's a firm recommendation from the both of us. Sure. So uh, let's talk a little bit about you. So one of the first questions I like to to ask people that create comics is why comics? Um, because I like to write yeah, them. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I started liking them uh, since I was uh, very young and uh, I always loved uh, drawing and uh, narrating stuff with your drawing is like the coolest thing. <laughs> and uh, so this is okay, what I like cool. to do. Um, so kind of you mentioned growing up, you enjoyed reading comics. What type of comics were you reading when you were kind of like growing up and have they been a consistent presence in your life or did you kind of like read them when you were younger, stop reading them and then come back to them? How, how did that, how, how was that relationship as well? Uh, well, when I was uh, very little, there were in Italy a number of uh, comics aimed at children and probably the most famous was uh, the Italian edition of uh, some Disney comics. At the time, it was called uh, Topolino, which is uh, the Italian name of Mickey Mouse. And uh, there were um, comics about Disney characters like Uncle Scrooge and Mickey Mouse uh, and Donald Duck and so on. And then when I were uh, a bit older, like in um, high school, there were a number of uh, comic magazines uh, in Italy that were publishing uh, South American and uh, European, uh, Belgian, French uh, comics. And uh, I started uh, following those. And uh, then uh, um, manga started to be published uh, in Italy. And uh, I started following a lot of those. I worked uh, in the manga publishing industry for a while. My first job was as a touch-up artist and letterer for manga. And um, from then on, I always uh, read manga, uh, read the comics, basically. Okay, that's, uh, that's fascinating. Um, whenever I'm speaking to someone who's not uh, either based in the United States or or England, one of the, the questions I like to ask is kind of what is the comic book scene like in, in the country where they're based? <laughs> what is the comic book scene like in Italy at the moment? <clears throat> Not uh, very great, uh, honestly. Mm, probably the biggest uh, publisher for a long time in Italy was a company called uh, Bonelli, who published a number of series of long-running series uh, all in um, simple paperback, uh, black and white um, paperback uh, format. Um, they were coming out weekly, I think, and were stories like uh, a very long-running one was a Western called uh, Text Wheeler, and then there was some horror mystery called Island Dog and Others. Uh, I've never been a 
big fan of the genre, to, to be honest. I never followed this uh, a lot. And uh, I think uh, uh, it kind of stopped um, releasing book, this, uh, this big publisher, or, or is almost stopped. And uh, probably uh, right at the moment, most active are some smaller uh, publishing houses who publish uh, more varied stuff, uh, uh, more graphic novels from uh, all around the world. And uh, I think if you go into a um, comic book shop right now, you will mainly find uh, manga and uh, independent stuff uh, from foreign country published uh, that's, in Italian. That's such a shame because there is such a rich tradition of like of great Italian artists in the comic book industry making like um, massive contributions. So that uh, another book that I'm going to be reviewing soon is called Black Beth. And the original artist on that was Italian. And then, you, you know, yeah, that's, that's, that's a real shame that kind of, um, I mean, it's wonderful to have like foreign influences um, on any kind of like artistic medium. But, you know, really having like a home voice, I think, is also really important. The, there are also uh, Italian artists and uh, Italian graphic novels. But I will say if you go into a comic book shop, they are a minority honestly yeah, that's, that's that's uh that's a real shame um anyway let's uh let's move on kind of to to the next next question about that so you've gotten a job you need to kind of um draw a strip or kind of illustrate the interiors for like a board game because i know you work on a lot of board games as well what is your process do you work with paper or digital do you work from home do, do you have a studio uh, i work from home i have a desk with uh, my computer and a graphic tablet and i work uh, completely yeah. digitally i get a brief that can be super detailed at times or at times uh, it can give me a lot of freedom and uh, i enjoy both kind but uh, of course when i am able to to contribute something to a project, I love it. And so I start, um, uh, often I look for reference because I want to see exactly what I have to draw. Like if uh, I am requested to draw uh, a scene in a specific country or a specific geographic feature, I want to, to see how it is uh, for real or um, costume from a uh, culture are uh, required. I want to <laughs> have a clear idea or of how they work. So I start gathering references and then I start uh, sketching and I always... Uh, try to, to work uh, closely with uh, my client. I send uh, for approval at every stage because uh, I believe uh, I am uh, giving life to their vision. I try to, to, to have them uh, really be happy about what I produce uh, and uh, find what they really want to, to be represented. Okay, so that's uh, interesting. What type of tools do you use digitally? Is it um, kind of like what type of tablet are you kind of working on? Stuff like that. I am working on a, a Wacom tablet, one of the kind with the screen, Cintiq, it's called. And uh, I use an optic pen to draw on it. And um, the program I mainly use is uh, Adobe Photoshop. Okay, you're using uh, Photoshop. I know there's a lot of artists that are kind of um, 
unhappy with Adobe at various uh, stages, kind of like the you know various different things that they um they're doing. Uh, this might be a bit of a techie question. Do you kind of um... if you want to start discussing what why I am unhappy with Adobe, we are gonna stay here all the evening. <laughs> yeah. So let's yeah. just keep it. Um, uh, this might be a bit of a, a techie question, but it's uh, something that's kind of come up in um, other discussions that I've had. So it's kind of a, a two-part question. So firstly, do you um, take the time to create your own brushes and stuff like that? Or do you kind of rely on the, the brushes that already exist in, in Adobe? I don't use a lot of brushes, uh, usually just uh, for most part uh, for a single project, like only one or one or two, three, something like that. I don't... Uh, my style of drawing doesn't rely uh, a lot on uh, kind of brushes. And uh, I think I created a few for myself uh, and uh, others I I found uh, like uh, included in uh, the Adobe Suite or, or some, someone I bought. But um, I don't work a lot with uh, different brushes, honestly, probably because my style is not very pictorial. Money, okay, not cool. very painted. Because um, I, was, I was just wondering about that, especially when it comes to do things like processes like coloring and stuff like that. I know I've, I've spoken to, to different people and they do you find kind of like creating their own brushes for that particular aspect of doing it can, can be a little sure. bit, um, can be a little bit helpful. So you kind of, you mentioned your, uh, your, your style, what are your, um, stylistic influences in terms of, or does it kind of change from depending from project to project? Well, I think my style varies a bit from project to project, but it's, uh, still, uh, quite recognizable. And I think it shows that, uh, animation was a big love of my life as, uh, visually speaking, uh, because, uh, my, style of coloring and my style of drawing overall uh, is uh, quite uh, clean and defined, uh, a bit similar to a cell, uh, an, an animation yeah. cell, uh, if you... Yeah, okay, I understand that. Um, and kind of, I was reading a, a, another interview, I was just doing a little bit of research before the podcast, and um, I read that you uh, did go to kind of like art school, but you didn't really learn any artistic techniques there. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so you're you're kind of basically self self taught. How did that kind of like come about in terms of you know you developing that style? Were there did you go to any kind of like classes, or was it just kind of like uh, a process of practicing over and over and over again? Uh, it was a practice, a process of a lot of practice and the process of uh, looking at a lot, a lot of stuff and finding what, uh, basically it starts with, uh, oh, look at this thing. It's very beautiful. I'd like to draw like this. Let's try and okay. repeat. Okay. So just uh, going over that um, over and over again. Yep. Are there any... Like yeah, go ahead. Uh, no, no, sorry. I was just yeah, uh, so, um, agreeing with you. Uh, kind of one of the questions I like to ask people, um, you kind of mentioned animation as one of your influences. Are there any particular comic book artists or, you know, artists in general that had like a big influence on the way that you draw at all? Uh, too many to say, I think. Okay. I comes to mind uh, people like Shinguaraki and Michi Meno, who were character designer uh, in Japanese animation. Also, a lot of Disney stuff I loved a lot. But even uh, illustrator, I, I think, for instance, uh, to Yoshita Kamano. There are too many, yeah. honestly. Okay, that's that's. Uh, whenever I ask that question, I find it I always quite surprising how many people do kind of struggle to to answer that because. Usually there isn't just one person, there's like lots of people and you're just kind of trying to pass 
you know, which yeah. one did have like the big influence. Um, but yeah, the, you know, everyone kind of takes um, a lot of different things. And so one of the things that I, I noticed just going through your Instagram and stuff like that is that you, it looks like you enjoy drawing fantasy and sci-fi, you know, things within those two genres. Is that, are those are the kind of stories that you're attracted to, to drawing the kind of characters that you're interested in illustrating? Yeah, uh, honestly, yes, it's my favorite thing. Uh, I also am obliged to say that what you see in my Instagram is mainly my commission work, and I am lucky that I work in <laughs> work drawing what I like. But also, I started working in this field, and uh, it went on like this. Uh, so this is why I have a lot of uh, fantasy and SF uh, stuff in my. Okay, I'm guessing there's kind of quite a lot of like. Uh, requests for kind of Dungeons and Dragons characters and stuff like that. Okay, yeah, yeah. I've seen that a lot on the um, on my Twitter timeline. People getting into drawing their uh, various characters. So I, I want to talk a little bit about some of the projects that you're either working on or have worked on in the past. You're, you're currently doing a webtoon called The Witch of Stonebridge Falls. Do you want to talk a little bit about how that came about and uh, what the premise is and uh, stuff like that? Well, of course, I would <laughs> like to. <laughs> To do that because it's my um, main personal project at the moment and uh, something I really um, care about. It's as a project, uh, it came to my mind uh, uh, for the first time in the middle of uh, pandemic lockdown. So in a quite dark moment, honestly. And uh, it was a moment when uh, I realized I wasn't able to consume uh, media that I was consuming previously, stuff that were uh, too antsy, too dark, uh, too dramatic, was hard to look at for me. I felt the need for uh, wholesome, sweet stuff. And um, I kind of created the, the story I would love to, to read. <laughs> and um, of course uh, I didn't do this alone I got the help uh, of uh, my partner who I luckily is, a, is an amateur writer and a quite good one in my opinion and uh, he helped me um, finalize my ideas because I had uh, like um, vague uh, general concepts uh, uh, but uh, struggled a bit to, to make it uh, into a coherent story and uh, he helped me a lot in this. Uh, um, sorry, I'm lost. Yeah, so, what um, was the question? Uh, I, I just wanted to, to you, know, you kind of explained why you, you created it. Um, do you want to explain a little bit about what, what it's about, what you know, who the, the main character is and kind of what the premise for, for, for The Witch of Stonebridge Falls is as well? <laughs> Yeah, um, it's a fantasy story, um, of course, and I think uh, the um, influence of um, Terry Pratchett, who is one of my favorite uh, writers' shows, uh, in the fact that is, uh, a witch is uh, a protagonist, and uh, it's showing the, my love for uh, reversing tropes, uh, the witch is a, is a man, and it also uh, enticed me a lot, the idea of uh, showing an example of a very nurturing uh, masculinity. So my main character is a, a very sweet person, and uh, the themes of... Uh, 
building uh, relationships, uh, caring for a community are uh, strongly present in the story and uh, are uh, all the things that um, I felt uh, <laughs> were needed uh, in that moment, but even now. Yeah, I think that's that's great. I mean, if you're I felt exactly the same way as you kind of during the pandemic. I didn't really want to go into anything too heavy. And I discovered this anime called The Ranking of Kings. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Mm. It's Yes, yeah, I've it's seen a, it. Absolutely. I think it's a masterpiece. But yeah, it's exactly kind of like wholesome adventure story. And it's got, you know, the, the protagonist there isn't um, like a typical macho person. It's just this no, one. I'm, one I'm quite the yeah, contrary. Quite the contrary. Um, the, the other two projects that I came across while... I'm doing research um, for this was uh, Wax, which I understand is a comic book series that you're you're working on that's uh, being written by Diane Huffman. Have I got that correct? Yes. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, that? Or? Well, that's a very, very strange story, if I may yeah. be honest, because I uh, worked with Diane and uh, it was uh, super pleasant working with her. She gave me the scripts and left me a lot of uh, freedom. It was uh, one of the first projects I did when I started uh, freelancing and uh, I enjoyed it a lot. It was also one of the first big comic projects I ever did. And for some uh, reason, uh, incomprehensible to me, honestly, <laughs> the comic, I think, never were released by the publisher. I've never seen it uh, released. It were six volumes uh, of 24, 22 pages each. So a huge uh, yeah. thing. Uh, I'm not sure what happened there, honestly. Yeah, I mean, um, when I was doing my research online, I could see it, the first two issues for sale digitally. But um, yeah, but I couldn't really uh, find too much more um, information about that. And then the the other project that I kind of came across just going through, I think your Instagram and stuff like that was uh, Kiko and the Demon. Is that a project that you're, do you want to talk about as well? Yes, uh, gladly. Uh, this is a project I, I am working currently. As you said, the, at the moment it is released as a webtoon on Webtoon and Tapas, and uh, it will be also in printed uh, format. I am uh, um, working uh, closely with uh, the author, Jessica Homan, who is, um, has done a huge work uh, in um, creating a whole uh, universe, uh, very detailed. Uh, she has all the story planned uh, into the future. Uh, when I started working, she gave me a lot of uh, visual uh, reference. Uh, but uh, at the same time, she uh, is really appreciative of my contribution. She leaves me a lot of freedom. So I would say working with her is the best of both worlds because uh, I can uh, put in uh, details about uh, settings, costumes, character acting. Uh, it's uh, very enjoyable uh, to work with Jessica. And um, the story is a young adult, I would say. It's uh, The protagonist, Keiko, is uh, quite young and overall it's a coming-of-age thing with uh, some fantasy elements uh, and a very, very enticing and complex world okay that's that's great and um that's available on on webtoons and there plans to re release a print version of that when's the print version going to be out i have no idea <laughs> okay no idea okay cool um you've kind of talked a little bit about this already kind of like your um kind of collaborative the way that you like to collaborate with with people um one of the questions i like to to explore with people is 
if you were giving advice to someone that was kind of starting out in the industry, what advice would you give them in regards to kind of collaboration? What kind of like the major takeaways from lessons that you've kind of learned in terms of making sure that that process is as fruitful as possible for both people? I think um, part of the reason why I find uh, constantly work and have clients returning to me is because uh, I pay great attention to what they want. I really try my best to understand exactly what they want. Of course, I am not uh, saying I throw my personality into the bin and uh, just do anything they want, but I really try to pay attention and to filter through my sensibility what they are looking for. This attention, this listening uh, with uh, care, I think uh, it's very important for a newbie artist. I think maybe could uh, run the risk uh, of uh, just um, draw what uh, is fun for them, what is easy for them, uh, while it is very, very important to understand uh, the person you are working for. And another thing uh, is um, not be afraid to constantly check with your client to submit uh, at every step uh, the stuff you are working on. And I say this because uh, I understand that you can have the instinct of uh, uh, not wanting uh, anyone uh, changing something of your drawing, but you have to take this as a collaborative effort. Maybe I have been lucky in the clients I have had, but uh, 99% of the time I have had uh, very fruitful cooperations. So when I have uh, received requests for uh, changes or revisions, they have all been very reasonable. At times I was even happy to receive them because I felt the final product was better for the changes. So um, embrace the yeah. collaboration. Yeah, I think basically. That's, uh, that, that's great advice. Um, yeah, so this is going to be kind of quite a, a, a big uh, question or it can't be uh, maybe a small question and you can take the question in whatever scope that, that you'd like. Um, what does success look like to you? Now I'm what worried. What does success look like to you? <clears throat> success to me... <laughs> I suppose uh, it uh, would mean uh, to work uh, not too many hours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> While uh, at the same time uh, having uh, money enough to live comfortably. And possibly you can throw in uh, an element, element of uh, having your uh, work uh, uh, known by many people. I think these are okay. the aspects of yeah, uh, success. Success. Uh, do you have uh when you are when, when someone is kind of approaching you for for a commission or if you're thinking about um one of your own projects do you have a preference for long form versus short form projects or comic books or illustrations and and stuff like this uh definitely long form because for every project there is a, a part of uh, studying you have to do, you have to understand what you're working on and gather the references and understand your client. So it's like entering in a different world uh, for each project. Uh, and uh, when you're in and you are comfortable, uh, you don't want to go to the struggle to oh, okay, enter in a yeah. new wine uh, <laughs> every quarter of hour. Yeah. So it sounds like you kind of, you put yourself a lot, a lot of yourself into um, each project that you do. Do you think that's kind of like a fair statement? Uh, yeah, yeah, I honestly will say okay. so. And how draining is that kind of like emotionally? What do you do to kind of like unwind after you've kind of completed a project like that? 
Um, I do very, um, I try to take some time to rest mentally and physically during the week and uh, I walk a lot. It relaxes me to no end and uh, I feel uh, my body needs the movement <laughs> and uh, I enjoy a lot of uh, uh media, anime series and movies and TV series uh, and uh, theater occasionally and uh, anything I can, can get my paws on, basically. Okay. Uh, uh, what have you been reading uh, recently? Is there any comic books, graphic novels, novels, or even TV shows or animations that you you think that people should be checking out as well? I just finished the second season of uh, Mob Psycho, which I totally recommend. Also to you, if you are looking for models of uh, healthy masculinity, that's a very, very good recommendation in yeah. <laughs> in this uh, view. Okay. Um, so uh, the last few artists I've spoken to um, said how excited they've been about uh, Comic-Cons being up and running again. I don't know if that there's like a Comic-Con scene in, in Italy or not. Um, and if there is, is that something that you take part in? And is it something that you'd be uh, you're looking forward to enjoying going to again? Well, honestly, uh, I mainly work uh, with uh, USA and uh, occasionally with other countries, but really 99% of what I do is for uh, USA. I don't have my stuff published in Italy, so I'm not really, um, I don't really have a reason to go to cons. There is a very huge con in Italy which is called uh, Luca Comics and Games and is held uh, at the end of October each year. And uh, it's about comics, but also role-playing games and games uh, generally speaking. And uh, it's uh, quite a chaotic thing full of people uh, and uh, pretty tiring. I have attended a lot of many years uh, in the past for work. I can say I really look forward to attending um, uh, for personal pleasure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can kind of, um, I can kind of under understand that. We'll just wrap up now. Is there anything that um, I haven't asked that you feel that I should have, or any topics that we have that hasn't come up in the discussion that you'd like to to talk about now? Mm, I wouldn't say so. Uh, I think uh, you asked uh, a lot of stuff. Okay, that's great. So um, can you just uh, tell the listeners where they can find your stuff online, how they can get in touch with you, your website, social media stuff, all that, all those sorts of things? Sure. Um, you can uh, read my comic uh, for free on uh, Tapas and uh, Webtoon, and it's called The Witch of Stonebridge Falls. I also have a patron as uh, Claudia Cangini. Uh, on Twitter, while it's still up, uh, I am uh, Claudia Canginia. I am uh, also on Instagram. I honestly never open Facebook. I'd say these are the socials where uh, you mainly can find me. Okay, that's that's great. So uh, thank you so much for taking the time out of uh, your day to speak to me. Um, guys, if you can please support the podcast by leaving a rating or review wherever you um, have found us. Cole is doing really good work on our YouTube channel at the moment. That's kind of growing quite steadily. So if you could please um, leave comments, leave ratings and reviews um, on our YouTube channel, that, that up button and those subscriptions really help. And if you can leave a tip in the tip jar, uh, the link for that's in the episode description that helps us keep on the lights. Um, thank you very much. Uh, let's, uh, let's say bye to the listeners. 
Bye. Bye, and thank you so much for the pleasant and interesting conversation and for having me. Bye. Okay, th- thanks. Bye.